Are you on the hunt for a perfect gift? Well, this year, give your loved one a gift that never goes out of style and will last forever. Give them a lifetime hunting or fishing license. A lifetime license just might be the best gift they ever receive. The Minnesota DNR offers a variety of lifetime licenses that include fishing, small game, sportsman, deer hunting, and more. Costs vary by age, and it really pays off big time to purchase a lifetime license for youngsters. Get this, a lifetime license purchase for a Minnesotan age three or younger will pay itself off in about 15 years. That means from about age 30 on, their fishing license will be free the rest of their life. If they move out of state, their license is still valid when they come back forever. My kids have lifetime sportsman's licenses. And last year we bought one for my nephew and my dad too. I just can't think of a better gift to give to someone that loves the outdoors. The memories that we make together in the field and on the water are priceless. A lifetime license makes the outdoors accessible forever. Learn more at mndnr.gov slash lifetime. That's mndnr.gov slash lifetime. This episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast is presented by Aquarius Home Services. A Solid Waste, the Minnesota Propane Association, and by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Today, we're going to get you dialed into the upcoming ice fishing season with Tony Roach, host of our new ice fishing show, Dialed In Angling. We'll tell you all about this new TV show and our goals to help you become better ice anglers. Welcome to another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. Brandon Morton produces this episode. We're grateful for all of his work. And today we're going to help you get dialed into the upcoming ice fishing season with the new host of Dialed In Angling, Tony Roach. Welcome to the Do North Outdoors podcast. Appreciate you taking some time away from your schedule. I know you're a meteorologist. You're an ice angler, you're a fishing guide, you're all of these things. You're also a father and a family man. What are you doing as you're getting ready for your first trip north of the border here into Canada to ice fish? <laughs> well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I've been looking at every forecast across the lower 48 into Canada, searching for ice. Normally, you get into late November, early December, and you can find ice all over. It may be just a small body of water where there's walkable ice but uh boy with this forecast that we've had in november here uh mm -hmm. what i've had really had to do travis is go grouse hunting and take my dog out grouse hunting and and try to try to put fishing in the back of my mind for a day <laughs> and hope that the forecast changes it, it it is changing we're getting colder weather now we're getting closer to that ice season uh you know i always say in minnesota there's one thing that we can always count on, and that's winter, right? Winter in the Midwest, mm. it's coming, whether it's sooner or later. So, yeah, we're on the brink of ice fishing. Yeah, I feel like as soon as deer season ends in Minnesota, everyone just switches into ice fishing mode. They want it to happen. We had a cold blast the first week of November, and everyone got excited thinking, all right, I can, I can get my buck, and then get it in the freezer and get my ice fishing gear out. And then we had that little bit of an Indian summer where things warm back up again. And, um, you know, now it's just like, all right, let's, let's get ice. We want to get out on the lakes. Um, obviously you and I and our team, you know, we, we're excited for the ice fishing season because we're 
um, producing a new ice fishing television show. We'll we'll dig into that. But what a season to be a grouse hunter, man! I, you you mentioned that, and I've been out several times. The grouse numbers are fantastic, and I know you were just up on the North Shore for the first time. You typically hunt kind of that north central part of the state around. Malax, uh, Leech Lake area for, for grouse. But what was it like going up to the northeast part of the state to hunt grouse and how was it different? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I only live about 40 minutes from Duluth, but I don't spend a ton of time up the North Shore doing anything. Uh, you know, in college, I'd go up uh, a couple times to Grand Marais, but it's been a long time since I kind of went that direction. And you know, I spend a, most of my grouse hunting, you know, Aiken County, Cass, Itasca, uh, you know, that whole region. I, I, you know, I have tons of trails I like walking. Um, you, you know, I'm like you, Travis. I, lo- I just like getting the dog out. And that, those, those locations are, I, you know, I can be grouse hunting within a half hour, 45 minutes to an hour and have great grouse hunting, great woodcock hunting. Uh, but the North Shore, I've been hearing so many good reports about the bird hunting up there this year that I was like, you know what, I'm doing it. I was sitting in a deer stand. I told my buddy, I said, Monday after rifle season, you got to call in sick to work, man. Let's let's just head up the North Shore blind. Uh, you know, we'll pull up our uh, Onyx map and just kind of look around and find some trails and just get out and start walking, right? And that's mm-hmm. what we did. So it was a little bit of a learning curve for me because the terrain is really different. Like if you are just along the North Shore, it's really rocky and mountainous, very piney. And the trails are a little different than if you get inland even 20 or 30 miles. It changes drastically to, you know, even more popple, uh, birch, pine versus just that solid pine. So the first few trails we walked, uh, you know, it was really dense spruce forest and uh, very cool. I mean, I was walking around. There's little cricks. I, I, I was actually thinking I should have brought a trout rod with me, uh, <laughs> you know, just because it was so cool back in there. But we didn't see a ton of birds. We did put up a couple, but it was so dense. You know, we heard them. We didn't see them. Uh, as soon as we got inland, we started moving, you know, more towards uh, – let's say Isabella or back into there more, um, it changed, you know, the forest changed a little bit. And, uh, yeah, by the end of the day, we actually started putting up some birds, but you know, this time of year, you're losing light at four o'clock. Right. right? So, uh, but beautiful drive. It was cool. I hadn't been up the North shore for a while. Uh, you know, just being on the map and kind of looking up there, there's a lot of lakes that I want to hit now <laughs> that I, I, I kind of <laughs> yeah. knew were there, but you just, you kind of overlook it. I, I don't think, uh, you know, we go to Duluth for shopping, right? Or, you know, if I got to get my oil change or something, I don't go to Duluth and North for hunting. And uh, so, yeah, it just kind of opened a whole new realm of, you know, that opened the world of that part of the state. It's gorgeous up there. I want to do more exploring. I want to go further north. I want to kind of hunt, uh, you know, sort of up that Gunflint Trail and do some bird hunting up there because that's something I've never done my whole life. Well, I, I, you and I are very similar in that we like to try new things and, um, you know, figure things out. I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing in different areas of the state, and I still have the same drive to like go to somewhere that I've never been. I typically, when I'm hunting upland birds, unless there's, you know, somebody that I'm bringing with that I really want to make it a good experience and I know an area really well and I know where birds typically are, 
Um, I, I usually won't go back to the same place unless it's a, you know, that situation. If I'm going out on my own or with buddies, we almost always go somewhere that we've never been. I just love the adventure side of it. And when it comes to fishing, it's exactly the same way that I am. I, you know, like you, I've been a fishing guide. Uh, I started a guide service when I was in high school, you know, so taking people fishing is something that I've done for now 25 years, roughly. And um, it's, it's something that I love to do. I love teaching people. But when I am not taking clients, customers, people out fishing, I'm going to lakes I've never been to. I'm going to learn new things to try to keep growing my knowledge base, to try to keep, um, you know, like it's the adventure side of it that I really enjoy. I went to college in Bemidji and in Bemidji, there are, you know, thousands of lakes in the Northwoods there. A lot of them are in the woods and forests. You have to figure out how to get to the lake and then you have to figure out how to catch the fish in there. And you don't even know what really exists in some of those lakes. And that to me was the real appeal. I, I just loved figuring it out, which I think and hope um, will lend to a really great television show because you have this knowledge base of fishing that is just extraordinary. You have this desire to get off the beaten path and to learn and figure it out and get dialed in um, and then be able to show what you've learned to other people. So um, really excited about this new adventure that we are all going on together. Um, congrats to you for the new TV show um, and your role in it, Tony. I, I, I didn't mean to take all the words out of your mouth here, but what excites you the most about dialed in angling? Well, I think you touched on it. I mean, I'm like you, Travis. I like to explore new bodies of water. I don't get a chance to explore these real backwoods lakes until early ice season, right? Um, the big bodies of water, yeah, I get to launch my boat. I can explore. Um, I do a, a, a ton of lake searching. Uh, I think that's what's great about where we live is, uh, you know, whether you're fishing in Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, we have all these great bodies of water that we're surrounded by um, that are just waiting to be explored, right? Well, mm -hmm. some of these small bodies of water, I don't really get to fish until it's early ice because like you said, you got to track down these, uh, you know, forest roads. Well, I'm not going to pull my brand new Lund boat down some of these roads. I can barely drive down some of them. Some of them you need a four wheeler, or a snowmobile to get into. And so early ice, I like to do exploring on some of these smaller bodies of water. And dialed in angling, I get to do that, man. I get to explore and then kind of showcase that. How I go about looking for lakes, how I go about finding lakes, how I go about finding fish in those lakes. So once I get there, this is kind of my method for tracking down fish, hunting fish, you know, and uh, once we find them, what's my best approach to catching them? And, you know, uh, I couldn't be more excited to talk not only about lakes in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, we're going to Canada next week. Uh, I get to fish a body of water that's sort of a bucket list. I mean, all of these possibilities and then be able to teach anglers exactly what I'm finding, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've always been a really good teacher. I've always been an open book when it comes to helping people, how I go about some of the struggles that I may have went through to find fish or to be a better angler. You know, the one thing about me is I get to spend a lot of time on the water. 
uh, I spend over 300 days a year fishing. Right. And so that's crazy. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, a lot. And, it, it, and it's, and it's everything from fishing in my boat to ice fishing to shore fishing. Right. I always have rods in my, in my truck, uh, in the spring, for example, people probably don't know this about me, but like, if I see a crick where the suckers are running, I'll stop and fish that. Or if there's a little backwater ditch where the crappies and bluegills are moving into, I find these locations that I'm like, there's got to be fishing here. So I'll stop and fish. I fish from shore all the time. And even, uh, you know, th- there's a couple of times where I had examples where I pulled over with my truck and boat. I just got done guiding, but it was in the spring and I stopped and fished this little crick where there was current moving through into this sort of bay if you will Uh and i was catching crappies and bluegills right off the shore just like one after another and i've got this you know (laughs) hundred thousand dollar boats parked right there people would probably think like what is this guy doing and weirdo uh, yeah yeah what a weirdo but that's what i like doing i like exploring i like doing stuff like that so dialed in angling is going to allow me to do that i mean it's like a dream come true right it's it's everything that you dreamed of as a kid now you get to do it and showcase it to the rest of the world. You and I are identical. I always have a fishing rod or two or three in, in a bucket in the back of my truck, especially in the spring, because yeah, man, that early part of the summer when the fish come shallow and they're like, uh, it might be a culvert or something going under the road or somehow there's current and yeah, to be able to pull over and throw a dozen bluegills or crappies in the in a bucket and bring them home for dinner. I mean, like I do it all the time. I'll be on my way home from work and, and I'll just stop and catch, you know, whatever I need for a meal. And then I'll text my wife, hey, we're having fish for dinner tonight. She's like, you're, you're ridiculous. But I, I just I, can't, I can't not do it. Like it's just something ingrained inside of me that makes me have to stop and find out if there's a fish right there. I love it. And what's cool is you learn a lot. Like I remember uh, the spot we pulled by. I've always wanted to fish it. There's this lake that is like right along the road and there's a culvert and it just looks picturesque, right? I've never fished it and it's sort of a high traffic road. And I've always thought, man, and I've really never, ever seen anybody fishing there. And, uh, you know, a couple springs ago, a matter of fact, it was during COVID. uh, I told my son, we were kind of on a mission to find new spots to fish, like new ditch spots. And, uh, Mm -hmm. We pulled over and we started fishing along the road. We weren't catching anything. We got back into these cattails. Like literally these fish ran under the road, through the culvert, into cattails because that's where the warmest water were. And we were pulling out giant crappies, bluegills, uh, all size fish. You know, there was bass up in there, uh, but they were all in like six inches of water. Literally when you'd step on the ground, it was enough vibration to spook those fish back into the cattails. And you had to just sit there and wait until they kind of get out to the edge. And you'd almost like, I, I wish I, at that point I would have had like a cane pole mm, because yep. they were in there because of the warmth, right? That warm water yep. had pushed them in, and there was thousands of fish up in there. Like literally you drop your jig and plastic in there and just hold it and they'd come out of there and hit it. And then you'd catch one and it'd spook the school for a second. And then you'd, you'd catch more and like what a cool experience like who would have yeah. thought that there was this many fish packed into six to eight inches of water in the spring right alongside this road everybody would have fished off the other side of the road i guarantee it matter of fact it was one of those roads where you know you can envision like a ton of bobbers hanging on the power line if there were a yeah. power line there because yeah. it, it, it just looks so good but there was no fish on that side they were all up in the cattails and 
Mm. Ice fishing is no different. You know, there's so many times where I think, okay, it's a new body of water. I go out there, I start drilling holes in where I think the fish will be, you know, in air quotes, whether it's a, it's a, a panfish wintering hole or it's a nice rock pile where you think the walleyes might be, you know, peak feeding periods. And then you learn something totally different, right? That mm-hmm. uh, the walleyes aren't on that real beautiful rock pile. They're up in the weeds, you know? Uh, the bluegills aren't in the wintering basin. They're still up in the vegetation because it's still green and there's tons of bait and bugs and, uh, uh, you know, even early, or I'm sorry, late ice where you've got three, four feet of ice and the fish aren't out in the wintering basin anymore. They're up in two, three feet of water in the wild rice feeding on rice bugs, you know, and you've only got about a foot and a half of water left. And uh, it's just things like that, that uh, drive me as an angler to, to like explore. Right. I used to always say when I, when I get to a small body of water, I'd like to take my ice auger and drill out pretty much, you know, two to three foot squares where I drill out the entire body of water. Like if it's, let's say it's a 200 acre lake. I think I could drill out that whole 200 acre lake and explore every inch of that lake underneath the ice to get a better idea of what's going on underneath there. Mm-hmm. I used to do the exact same thing. We would literally, my, I had a couple buddies and that was back when it was gas augers. We did not have forward facing sonar, which obviously now, I mean, there were lakes that we would rip apart and you drop a, you know, a Vexilar at that time. I think that was the only option, but, um, yeah, we drop it down. No fish go to the next hole. No fish. And then all of a sudden they would just appear like they would appear in those holes at sunset. It's like, where were you all day long? We didn't have the ability to look a hundred, 200 feet out in a complete circle, you know, cause obviously that would have changed everything. But sometimes we left those lakes and we said, I don't think there's any fish in it. And sometimes we would find out that it was full of huge perch or just big crappies and billions of aquatic invertebrates that would rise up in, you know, like you're, you couldn't even use a Vexilar after dark because it, from, from bottom to the ice, it would fill up your graph. You couldn't differentiate your lure between a fish because of all the bugs that were coming out. I mean, things that are just so cool to be able to try to wrap your head around and figure out. I mean, you talk about like that, six inches of water fishing from shore, you know, and there's some things about fish that are fascinating to me and some things about fishermen or anglers that are also funny to me too. Cause like early ice, you, how often do you hear people say they're coming up there to spawn? No, they're not. They're coming up there because it's warm water. There's bugs they are eating They're They're not spawning. They don't spawn until, you know, another month and a half from now or a month after that. So, um, fish behavior, we're learning all the time all the time so much about it you spending 300 days on the water nobody learns probably more than you do based on where you're fishing what you're fishing for and how often you can follow them and, and really understand them but now the technology that we have like forward-facing sonar most people would have thought you know i'm going to sit on this rock pile on this edge of this reef and it's shallower weeds on one side and deep water on the other and most people would have said yeah the walleyes are going to come up at sunset they're out in the middle of the basin not always. Sometimes in the middle of the day, they're all in the weeds. And instead of coming from deep water up to the rocks to feed, they're coming from shallow water out. Why does that matter? Well, how how are you approaching that spot? Where are you parking your vehicle? Are you making the noise on top of the weeds? Are you pushing the fish away from you? Um, thinking that they're coming from the deep water 
up to feed. I mean, those are little details that matter. Those are the things that I think you're, you're excited, you know, based on our conversations, like you're excited to be able to share this knowledge with, with our viewers, right? Yeah. Forward facing sonar has taught me a lot, uh, open water and on ice, um, about fish movements, how spooky they are, their moods, right? Um, mm-hmm. I never really thought about fish moods. I just thought if I drilled enough holes and covered enough water, especially, you know, on ice, um, I'm going to find some active fish. And it's interesting to me when, when the fish are in a bitey mood or a positive mood, it doesn't seem like noise really bothers them as much, Um However, if they're negative, it, it has a huge impact, right? Um, you know, because it, it, it's, it's, um, it's sort of counterintuitive, right? Like if, I, if I'm not catching fish, I want to get moving and drill holes and start moving around and looking for fish. But there's times I've noticed where we start doing that and then you're just spooking them more, right? Uh, mm-hmm. a, a neutral fish that would normally come in and maybe not hit your aggressive jigging technique but might hit your dead stick now is gone because you just completely spooked that fish because it was in a negative mood. Now you take that same fish and let's say it's a peak feeding period or a bite window in the morning or evening. That same fish is active, aggressive. They're moving. You're drilling holes around there. You're not really spooking them. Uh, they're coming in. They want to feed. And it, it, it's super interesting to me. Boat. Let's get away from ice fishing for a second and just talk about boat fishing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much boats spook fish, just trolling motors, um, even forward facing sonar itself. Now that fish have a lot of fish have been, um, targeted already. Let's say fish that have been caught and released. Um, they're getting used to that forward facing sonar. They don't like it anymore. Right. They feel that. that, Isn't that wild that they, you can see how they react to that sonar being faced at them. It's just crazy to me. It, it is. And, you know, these are all things you learn by spending countless hours in front of these electronics and using that with your mapping technology to, you know, if for me, if I find fish in a certain area, right, and they're active, they're aggressive, I'm catching them, but then all of a sudden you sort of run out of fish. That's instantly where I go to the map and I start looking for areas that look exactly like what I'm fishing, right? And so, Kind of been dialed in angling to get people dialed in. I mean, that we've said it a lot. We joke, uh, you know, at Ron Share Productions. We joke around the people that are involved with the show so far. Uh, we tend to use the word dialed in a lot more now. Uh, mm-hmm. However, it, it is a true statement. I mean, you know as an angler when you're dialed in, right? Everyone out there that's fished knows when you're dialed in, you're dialed in, right? You're catching them one after another. How to stay dialed in day after day after day is another thing. You know, that's one thing as a fishing guide, I always wake up, I always tell people the glass is always half full in my world. Because if you wake up in the morning saying, ah, it's 30 below, we're not going to catch them. You have that bad attitude. You probably won't. um, Because you're not going to put in the effort that you would if you're excited about it. And for me, I get an opportunity to wake up in the morning and go fishing every day. And so I want to take full advantage of it. I'm the type of person that wants to catch them every single day. I don't care if it's 30 below or if it's 100 degrees out. I think I can do something to get those fish to bite, right? And if it means changing tactics from what I love doing, so be it. I don't care because I just want to catch those fish. I also love um, the kind of the challenge of 
multi-species fishing, right? Like one day going walleye fishing, the next day panfish, uh, you know, the next day bass, pike, muskie. I've always loved the challenge of catching different fish. And I've learned a lot by doing that. I've learned a lot by going out with saltwater captains, different knots or different things, different ways that they fish. And then I brought that back here to Minnesota and, and use those same knots and techniques and different things to catch fish where I live. And so I've always looked at fishing as fishing, whether it's open water, whether it's on ice. I just look at it as a full-on opportunity to learn but figure the fish out, right? What's my best way to catch them day after day? Yep. Yep. Everyone always says, how's fishing been lately? And I tell them every single time, it's always good. Catching on the other hand, now that can change, but the fishing is always good. And they're pretty much always going to be biting because they have to eat to survive. <laughs> you know, like sometimes the bite's hot, but like the reality is they, they are creatures that need to eat to live. So we got to figure it out. And that's really the fun. Navigate the cold and flu season with a breath of clean, purified air. Aquarius Home Services is your trusted ally in enhancing indoor air quality this year. Take advantage of their special offer for $400 off a whole home air purification system. If you find yourself battling allergies, coughing, or congestion, now is the perfect time to explore the Aquarius in-home air quality system. Say goodbye to troublesome contaminants like dust, pollen, dander, bacteria, smoke, dust mites, and more, and bask in the healthiness of an improved indoor environment. Don't wait. Experience the difference this cold and flu season with Aquarius's exclusive offer for $400 off a whole home air purification system. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at Aquarius Home Services. Dot com. Are you tired of your job and wish that you could start a new career? Well, now you can. Ace Solid Waste is an award-winning waste management company, and they are looking for people just like you. Ace Solid Waste has over 60 years of experience servicing customers in the Minneapolis metro area, and their company is growing. Ace provides themselves on having safe, reliable, friendly, and professional employees that set their team apart. Their talented staff will run you through Ace University and prepare you for the position that best fits your skill sets. From truck driver operator to mechanic, operations to customer service, there is a perfect role at Ace waiting just for you. Plus, you'll receive competitive salary, benefits, and paid vacation. Life is short. Don't stay at a job that's not right for you. Experience the Ace difference today. Check them out at acesolidwaste.com. And you mentioned talking about, you know, going different places and different knots and things. I was just at Rapala's uh, headquarters at their uh, fish tank. And I took one of their tungsten ice jigs and I used three different knots just to look in the water to see how different that lure reacts when you the same jig with a different knot makes that lure do something different, you know, so... Those are tiny details. When you're in open water, your bait is moving fast. You know, it's typically going right past them. Yeah, there's times where you drop a leech under a bobber and it sits there in front of them. They can dissect it. But typically, most presentations, you're moving it. Now, in the ice, you're, you're stationary. The fish is coming to you. And so they can really dissect that lure. And panfish, you know, specifically bluegills, man, do they 
eye up a bait over and over and over. Pound test makes a big difference, but the knot on the jig and how that lure is is wiggling and the tentacles and all that kind of stuff um, make can make a difference, you know. So I I've gone as far as to break down knots on the same jig to show people what it looks like to mix it up and how that can affect whether you have a looker come in or a biter come in. Um, let's Tony, let's talk about like, um, kind of your, the rundown of the TV show quick, just to let people know how it's going to air. Um, we're filming the same week and we're airing it the same week we film. So we're going to be on the, on the ice with you traveling to different hot destinations. Some of the most popular places in the Midwest for ice fishing, um, airing it that same exact weekend. Give us a quick like update on air dates, locations, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's a cool aspect of the show. I think that's one of the coolest elements of the show really is it's timely information, what's going on right now. So we're going to try to go to destinations, like you said, that are completely hot. You know, some of the hottest bites on ice, we want to be able to showcase that. So, you know, Week one here, we don't have a ton of ice where we're at, so we're we're going to run up to Canada. Um, you know, we're going to – our first ice episode, if you will, will be in Canada. Um, you know, then from there, uh, you know, the cool part is we get to play it by ear, right? Wherever the hot yeah. next hot bite is, wherever that ice is at, that's where we're going next. And so – we're able to pivot pretty quickly uh, because of the format of our show. But the cool part for the viewer is you get up-to-date information that's going on right now. In addition to yeah. us filming that, as you know, we're going to have some great contributors to the show that are experts in their region. Uh, and whether it's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, that will be contributing ice reports, uh, you know, ice conditions, uh, fishing reports, what's the hottest bite, what's going on, what species they're targeting, and lots of information there. And you know what? I think that I think ice anglers more than any other angler are probably the most informed because in the winter, folks don't have a lot of things going on. <laughs> and so they spend mm -hmm. a lot of time watching programs like Dialed in Angling. They spend a lot of time online looking for fishing reports. Um, they spend a lot of time getting dialed in and that's what we're going to bring our viewers week to week. And that's what I'm most excited about. I love up-to-date fishing information to be able to showcase something, whether it's a bite or a hot bite somewhere, whether it's a destination piece that we're doing where, you know, we're showcasing that destination that might be a destination for anglers to put on their radar or on their, you know, quote, quote unquote bucket list. Um, that's cool, man. That's, that's what I love doing. So it's, it's mm -hmm. right in my wheelhouse and I could not be more excited to kick this thing off. Yeah. So when you head North of the border up into ice in, uh, in Canada, um, what's your goal going to be there? I know you have your name on a brand new lure, which by the way, how awesome is it to have your own name on an ice fishing lure? But is that going to be really what you want to show people is how to use it? or how to catch fish on it? Or do you have other goals when you head up there? Well, you know, can I tease out the location? Can I tell the location? Yeah, or are go we going to wait for the show? Okay. No, let's Wacusco, go for it. Wacusco Falls has been on my radar 
for at least the last three to five years, right? I've had customers that have been up there. Um, I've spent a lot of time on Lake Winnipeg. I think a lot of ice anglers know about Lake Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Well, Cusco Falls is sort of my new Lake Winnipeg. Like 12, 13 years ago was the first time I went to Lake Winnipeg. I had heard a little bit about it. I think I, I don't even know if I had seen any shows that were filmed there or any, uh, you know, social media posts, really. This, the first time I went to Lake Winnipeg was in the winter. I had heard it was a really cool ice destination. I got to fish with like some of the coolest guys on Lake Winnipeg that fish it all the time, like Roger Stearns, um, you know, a bunch of these guys that were Lake Winnipeg guys. They were the ones that kind of pioneered uh, Lee Nolan. They were kind of the guys that pioneered that Lake Winnipeg rip and wrap you know, style jigging bite. I had prior to that fish in Lake Winnipeg, I had never fished rip and wraps were brand new. I had never fished a lipless crankbait underneath the ice in the manner in which they were fishing, like just ripping that thing hard, like super aggressive. Uh, I fell in love with that body of water. I caught so many big walleyes up there. Uh, it, it ended up being a destination for me for year after year after year, right? Wacusco mm-hmm. Falls is right in line with that Winnipeg bite, right? It's something that I've been hearing about. It's on my radar. Uh, it's perfect for what we're doing in dialed in angling. It's an awesome fishery. Uh, there's tons of big fish potential. Uh, we're only going to be targeting, you know, walleye perch, but up there there's giant lake trout, uh, monster walleyes, huge pike, perch, you know, it's it's really an ice angler's paradise. And the cool part about Wacusco Falls is all the fish bite during the day, right? It's not this <laughs> yeah. peak feeding period of morning and evening, right? You can go out, mm-hmm. drill holes. We're going to be fishing with Brian, the lodge owner. I've talked to Brian extensively on the phone here. He's pumped to have us up there. And he's pumped to about his fishery, man. And he should be. He He's got some incredible water up there that people now are just learning about. So it feels like you're you're going to be one of the first, right? You're going to be mm-hmm. one of the first ones to ever drill holes there. And for, for this year, for that matter, we are going to be one of the first ones to be out there drilling holes. They're just getting ice right now. They're about two to three weeks ahead of us right now because their temperatures have been more conducive. They've actually had ice. Brian's been out there kind of poking around a little bit. And so... Yeah, I'm going to be throwing anything that they're biting at them. I'm excited to use the roach spoon. We we tested that thing extensively last year, not only for walleyes, but panfish. It's just a fish-catching spoon, right? It's it's mm-hmm. a spoon. It's a rattle spoon. Uh, it's got great action. We added marabou hair uh, as a dress treble. And so you can fish this thing without live bait. I mean, it's just that good a spoon. It works excellent and yeah of course we're gonna get up there brian's already been catching him on the roach spoon up there and so we're excited to not only show it as a destination a lot of ice anglers i think it's gonna kind of turn their heads to say hey that would be a destination that we should put on our list because it's that good a fishery and there's so many options up there and and i'm excited to get up there and fish with brian I'm bummed that I'm not going with on that one. I am going with on the next one, I believe. And we're going to be up in northern Minnesota. Um, Something that you and I both experienced many years ago was the crappie boom on Red Lake. Now, ice anglers for the last couple of years have 
you know, made that a destination for early ice walleyes. But I think the secret is really kind of getting out about the the crappie population up there. And if ice holds, I believe our plan will be to showcase what we know, what people can expect when they head to Red Lake the first month or so of ice season and throughout the winter, really, up on Red Lake. Is that still our plan, Tony? That's the plan. We'll see what Mother Nature has in, in <laughs> yeah. store for us. Uh, well, you've been a you meteorologist. Know. What is the forecast? Because like, <laughs> I, I think it's going to cap here. I think I think if the winds lay down, red will cap soon. And then from there, yeah. it'll build. Yep. Well, the next 10 days look good. Uh, so, you know, that is our goal to get up to that neck of the woods. Um, obviously, if, if red, red Lake's not uh, ready, I have a lot of other destinations up there that I want to hit some of these backwoods lakes like we were talking about earlier where mm-hmm. you know it's sort of a challenge to get back into but the the just filled with giant panfish and uh I, I don't know about you but there's something to be said about ice fishing and pan fishing like how how hand in hand they go and mm-hmm. you know it's funny because I make my living as a walleye perch guide in the winter but when I get a day off, I go pan fishing, right? I go find big bluegills. I find crappies. And so, yeah, touching on this, this Red Lake phenomena that seems to be coming back full circle, I guess I was sort of at the tail end of the crappie boom. You know, I, I did experience it. I had fun. Uh, um, I think it was, maybe it was just too short lived, you know, it's kind of in that late nineties, early two thousands. I was at college as a broke college kid. So like mm-hmm. I, you know, in that early 2000 time period, I didn't have a ton of money just to run to Red Lake every day, every weekend, you know. So I did go a few times and I had fun. I did catch the giant crappies. We did experience, you know, drilling a ton of holes and then finally finding them on our own. Uh, I did that a couple of times, but then it was gone. And, you know, then it's just stories you hear about from these old timers, how great it was and being out there every day and catching these, you know, pie plate sized red lake crappies. And, yeah. uh, some of the stories where, you know, the fish were right up underneath the ice and these big schools would come through and they'd kind of, you know, black out your sonar. There was so many fish. And I don't think we have schools of that proportion, but what's interesting is last year we were up there with Rapala and we caught plenty of walleyes, but we did see good numbers of crappies. And so, Red Lake is just one of those early ice destinations that, um, you know, it freezes first. It's kind of in a swamp. It's one of the bigger bodies of water that freezes. You can get out. You don't have to go out too terribly far to get on good fishing. And yeah, if we can get up there and catch a bunch of walleyes and then kind of really delve into how big that crappie population is, Mm -hmm. dude, I'm all for it. I'm looking forward to that just as much as this Canadian destination we're going to. And every week I want to bring that sort of element to dialed in angling, you know, uh, um, whether it's a destination sort of piece or whether it's, uh, you know, really diving into specific techniques that are working or hot or, you know, how to finesse fish some of that stuff. You know, you uh, earlier in the podcast, we were talking about finesse fishing, right? Ice fishing is like the ultimate finesse. Uh, if, if you could be sitting right next to your buddy and if he's using, you know, the wrong species of line 
and he's got tons of memory in his line, doesn't have the right knot, but has the same lure down there, and you're catching him, and he's not, uh, there's a reason for that. And yeah. so you have to look into everything when it comes to ice fishing. Um, I hope that we can touch on the, this week after week as far as, you know, just helping people become better anglers. And then where to go to catch these fish? Because I always say as a guide, as someone that is a communicator, or does seminars, in the seminars, I always tell people, to be successful, you need to go to locations that you're going to have success, right? Uh, well, Cusco Falls to go catch walleyes. We're going to have success. We're going to a really great body of water. Red Lake, Minnesota, Upper Red Lake, going out of Washkish, catching giant crappies and walleyes. Where to find them, how to be successful. Then that way our viewers can grab their ice gear, head on up there, mm-hmm. and hopefully we, we can help people catch fish because that's what I yeah. love doing. Yep. I, amen to that. And you know, you mentioned the, those details, they matter. Those are the details that I think are important for us to be able to touch on. And I believe we will be able to show people that the differences matter and the best anglers are paying attention to those details. And that's what makes them a really, really successful angler. One thing that I think is important, you know, there's a lot of fishing shows out there and a lot of them show you, Oh, got another one. Oh, got another one. You know, and that's great because we like to see that action and that carries the show. But every person that fishes in open water or on ice experiences times where they're not catching fish. It's what you do during those time periods that determine if you eventually do catch them or if you go home empty handed. So being able to explain why we're not catching them and then what we're doing to overcome that ultimately will help people learn each week. And yes, you're you're on a great body of water. There are thousands of people that will be on that body of water in the coming days, weeks, months, you know, and they're popular destinations. So if thousands of people are doing better, um, you know, those those details will help them. And I think that's important. So, um, you know, let's run through some of the other destinations. You know, right now in North Dakota, there are a couple of <laughs> insane fisheries that are just firing off. South Dakota, too. I mean, the state record walleye has just been broken multiple times in the last couple of weeks over there. Um, you know, there, there are ice destinations in Iowa, in Wisconsin, too. Um, you want to kind of run through some of your dream destinations, Tony? And then obviously, weather and ice are going to factor into whether you make it to those or not? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to tease out too many. But I mean, I can definitely vouch for what you're saying as far as social media and and right now with 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 there not being ice i look at social media every single day and i'm seeing the state record broken in south dakota state record broken in north dakota and i've fished <laughs> a lot of these fisheries both on ice and open water but if i were to give kind of a a, a rundown of where i want to go right it would be run up to canada fish in canada be able to go to red lake lake of the woods devil's lake Sakaka, we and we we're not going to be able to hit all these destinations, but I'm just throwing that out there for destinations that I want to go to. A lot mm-hmm. of the early ice destinations that I'm hitting are primarily walleyes, but we will try to get to some pan fishing as well early. Um, it's just kind of how the season goes, right? That walleye mm-hmm. fishing's red hot early, so I like to kind of capitalize on that. And then as the walleye fishing starts to slow down, moving into pan fish, perch, different 
things. But um, yeah, so Canada, Red Lake, Lake of the Woods, uh, North Dakota, let's say Devil's Lake, Sakakawea. Um, there's also a lot of pan fisheries in North Dakota that I think mm-hmm. eventually we're, we want to get to because I fish there personally and I would love to showcase that. Uh, same with South Dakota, um, Oahe. Uh, I think that's an area where um, you know a lot of ice anglers may have ice fished, let's say, the Glacial Lakes region, but they haven't been out to Oahe. Or um, areas in the Glacial Lakes region where you know, they, they primarily were targeting panfish, but maybe there's, we do a walleye piece down there or perch. You know, I, a lot of people have heard about the big perch down in mm-hmm. the Glacial Lakes area. Um, I have some customers actually that live in Iowa that catch giant panfish down there. Now they have hit or miss ice because they're in Southern Iowa. So I would love to be able to get down there and experience, you know, some of their, uh, smaller body of water pan fishing uh, mid to late season. And then after that, maybe we go to Wisconsin. There's so many northern Wisconsin lakes that I fished uh, that I would love to be able to showcase on dialed in angling. And then, of course, you know, to kind of cap it off, Green Bay. Green Bay is one of my favorite places to go in the boat and on the ice. It's got just giant walleye potential and kind of how those fish come into the shallows later in the season. Um, I think viewers would would just love to see that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people that are ice anglers make plans to go to different destinations based on the fishing, the type of fishing. And so I want to be able to showcase some of that and then how I went about finding those fish and then ultimately catching them, the techniques that I use. And like you said, uh, you're going to struggle if you're if you're an ice angler at some point or any angler. If you're struggling with them not biting or them not being there, how I go about finding them again or finding aggressive fish. Uh, what I like about fishing big bodies of water versus a little teeny lake is they're usually biting somewhere. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I learned that from my dad a long time ago. You know, grew up fishing Malax, Winnie, Leech. Uh, you know, if we weren't catching them, my dad would always say, Hey, they're always biting somewhere and we'd Mm -hmm. leave and, you know, I'll send boom, you'd bump into fish. And I, I think that's why I've, I've primarily gravitated towards these large bodies of water, especially walleye fishing for ice. Right. Uh, because you're going to find them biting somewhere versus a small little mom and pop lake for walleyes. Early ice, you might have decent success, but for the most part, you're tied to morning and evening bites. Uh, now, yep. panfish short, may short be a little windows different. on smaller lakes. A lot of times, where it's just that sunrise or sunset bite, maybe a little bit after. Some of the exactly. lakes in the, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, it's a it's a night bite. You know, like it's an overnight night bite if you want to catch a walleye. So, I mean, there's each lake is different, but you're right. Those big bodies of water allow you to catch fish throughout the day and stay active and make it, you know, where you're not just waiting for that sun to hit the horizon again before you can set the hook. Are you on the hunt for a perfect gift? Well, this year, give your loved one a gift that never goes out of style and will last forever. Give them a lifetime hunting or fishing license. 
A lifetime license just might be the best gift they ever receive. The Minnesota DNR offers a variety of lifetime licenses that include fishing, small game, sportsmen, deer hunting, and more. Costs vary by age, and it really pays off big time to purchase a lifetime license for youngsters. Get this, a lifetime license purchased for a Minnesotan age three or younger will pay itself off in about 15 years. That means from about age 30 on, their fishing license will be free the rest of their life. If they move out of state, their license is still valid when they come back forever. My kids have lifetime sportsman's licenses. And last year we bought one for my nephew and my dad too. I just can't think of a better gift to give to someone that loves the outdoors. The memories that we make together in the field and on the water are priceless. A lifetime license makes the outdoors accessible forever. Learn more at mndnr.gov slash lifetime. That's mndnr.gov slash lifetime. This message is brought to you by the Minnesota Propane Association. Clean, affordable, reliable energy. These are all the things that people want for their homes and businesses. The one source of energy in Minnesota that can offer all of these benefits is propane. Clean. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than the equivalent amount of the electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Affordable. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, propane costs approximately 30% less than electricity in the U.S. The savings in Minnesota can even be higher. Reliable. Propane is energy stored on site, independent of the grid. Propane can power your home or business anytime you need it. Energy. Propane is a direct energy source used at your home or business, unlike electricity, which is produced somewhere away from your home. By the time electricity gets to your home, 66% of the energy used to produce it is lost. That is why propane is approximately three times more efficient than electricity. Propane, the right energy right now. For more information on what propane can do for you and the environment, go to propane.com. A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Um, I was just on Sakakawea a couple weeks ago. And I mean, that whole Missouri River, the whole Missouri River is just like one of North America's best fisheries right now. The amount of food, the health of the, the fishery is just like, I, I don't know that I've seen anything comparable, Tony. I mean, just the... The size of the quality of the walleyes, the fish out there, the smallmouth bass, the northern pike. I mean, you, 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 everything that's in that system, lake trout even, I mean, they're huge. They're growing fast. I mean, they're shattering records all the time. And, you know, I mean, I could talk all day just about that one fishery. But let's let's get into a little bit of your neck of the woods here because a couple of the most popular fisheries in Minnesota, probably number one, Mille Lacs. You spend more time out there than maybe anybody else. And it's a controversial lake. It's been that way for a long time. We don't need to get into controversy, but let's get into what you're seeing for fish out there because 
we're going to visit Malax. We have to. You you have to take people into your backyard and show them what's going on out there. Oh, I'd love to. Malax is really one of those early ice destinations as well because uh, you know before the masses get out there, Malax gets a bad rap because it gets a lot of traffic. Right, you're you know ninety minutes from the Twin Cities, roughly. And so uh, it's right up 169. It's, 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 Malax is a walleye factory, right? It has been for a long, long time. And uh, Malax gets a lot of bad rap about being, you know, the Dead Sea, this and that. Um, but really, early ice, it's one of the greatest lakes to fish ever because they bite all day long. And you, you, the big fish, fish potential, I don't have to tell you, mm-hmm. uh, is always there, right? This year in particular, we're seeing this just massive uptick this fall of the bite, right? And I think last year it was a little bit off just because we had so much bait in the lake. This year, there's still a lot of bait in the lake. The fish look great, but there's just a little bit less. Like we didn't have a great young of the year perch hatch like we had last the last couple seasons. And mm-hmm. so the fish are biting, plus the fact that you really haven't been able to harvest many fish out of Mille Lacs for what, almost a decade now. Yeah. And so the numbers to me seem incredible. I mean, you're seeing tons of small walleyes, tons of 15 to 20 inch walleyes. And now you're seeing a lot of that like 2013 year class that everybody talks about uh, that, that kind of epic, you know, off the charts year class is now in that 20 to 25 inch range and they're out there in big numbers and you're that's what makes up the bulk of your catch right mm-hmm. uh i was out this fall we did a little bit of scouting out there I, I do a ton of scouting in the fall i should back up before before we delve into ice you know we kind of our first dialed in angling is hey this is how i go about scouting in open water for ice because i do it everywhere everywhere i can whether it's for panfish, whether it's for walleyes, I want to know where those fish are located late in the fall. That's going to tell me where I'm going to start ice fishing, especially a big lake like Mille Lacs. Um, Locating those fish right now is really going to help you because Mille Lacs can be overwhelming. Uh, You know, you look at a map, you see how much structures out there and you say, okay, I want to try these spots. And then you get out there and you start drilling holes and you realize the spot that you've picked out is like over a mile long, just one break line. Right. Mm -hmm. And so by scouting in the fall, you can really pinpoint these locations where you're going to start. And zipping around in the boat with forward-facing sonar, we found a ton of fish out there. And it's like everywhere we went, we caught fish. Whether it was shoreline breaks, whether it was mud flats, gravel bars, uh, we found active, aggressive, biting fish in big numbers. And so that is going to have a direct correlation to that early ice bite on Mille Lacs. And how so, long, yeah. How long does that typically last? What you, the information you pack away the last time you're in a boat on a lake, how long can you bank on that? Being that fish movements vary so much throughout a given day, a week, a month. Um, you know, are you, at what point do you throw that information out once you're on the ice or how long do you keep it? You know, sometimes it lasts, it it all depends on bait fish movement, right? And Mm -hmm. some of it has to depend on how wild of fall we have. If we have one of those really violent, windy fall ice making time periods where 
you know, the, the, the shelf ice is stacked up 10 feet in the air and it's been super windy and rough and churned up. Um, that can push fish almost immediately. But years like this where we haven't had a lot of wind, we're getting a natural, like slow, progressive cool down to making ice conditions. Um, those fish will stay there for a long time. I've seen them stay in those same locations all the way through January. And then it seems like a, a mid to late January when a lot of the invertebrates start hatching out of the mud, for example, like you get tons of bug hatches where the nymphs start hatching out of the mud in January, February. So then you'll start to see these bigger fish movements. The other thing, the other factor for Malax is traffic. You know, we were talking earlier about negative fish, how when you make noise, how it just spooks them and they're out of there. Mm-hmm. Malax, obviously, on the reefs, on on some of these mud flats, some of these gravel bars get a, a, an extreme amount of traffic, right? Uh, you take yep. a, uh, you know, any of these resorts that are plowing three lane roads out there to these different reefs, that's going to push fish around. But if you can get into some of these areas where you don't get a lot of traffic, like last few years, I've been able to snowmobile out to different spots with customers. And so you're not getting that big wheelhouse rush. Um, those fish really stayed there till almost February. Yeah, they might not have been on the structure, but they were out in the basin feeding on invertebrates, feeding on the perch, feeding on the shiners that are feeding on invertebrates, and also feeding on bugs themselves. And so they moved, but they didn't move that far. And yeah, I, it, it's amazing to me when you find them in the fall, uh, you can almost guarantee within a week or two or three weeks when you have ice, those fish are going to be along those same break lines. They're going to be on those mm-hmm. same sets of structure. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you talked about the traffic and how it changes things. And there are some places that I ice fish where I won't fish the same place twice. I just don't do it because once I've set up on a spot, it's like, this is the community of fish that live here. You've had the first night you're there. It's the best it's going to be for the whole winter. And then I go to another one. Um, I've seen times before, let's take Malax for instance, and you know it better than anybody, but where if there are already holes drilled on the tip of this point, I just move on. Like I just, I want to go find fresh spots, fresh ice. And I find that I tend to do better when I go someplace that hasn't been fished. It might not look as good on a map, but for, for traffic reasons, the fish have not been pushed off of it yet. How often are you, Tony, going to an area and returning to that same area or are you just kind of moving a little ways away from it or does it matter to you? All of the above. You know, we do a lot of ice trolling, what I would call ice trolling, hole hopping, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it. Um, but we'll pull into a spot, drill out a point or a break or an inside turn and fish it for a little bit and then just keep moving. And people, you know, I've had people come up, come behind me, right. And set up behind me and said, Oh man, you left that spot. We were catching them and we caught them like crazy. You shouldn't have left. You know, well, Mm -hmm. my response is like, we sort of have a milk run as a guide service. Like we try to keep on the move, hit a bunch of spots. I'm trying to see if places are loading up more than others, especially early ice when everything's fresh, right. Mm -hmm. You want to, you want to check out all sorts of different spots. So, you know, throughout the day we'll hit four or five spots and then the most productive spots we'll go back to. And so the ones that were the best where we're marking and seeing the most fish uh, and catching the most fish, that's where we're going to go back to for our, you know, sort of evening bite. And then the next day, you know, 
I have a staff of guides that work with me and we've worked together for a long time. We'll just say, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll lean on Pete or Nick or somebody and say, Hey, what do you think? Like, Oh man, we got to go back to that spot a or whatever it was we killed them there midday we should try it in the morning so boom we go back there but then we start exploring and you know what when i say a spot you know again if it's a gravel bar it might be three miles all the way around that whole thing so there's lots of spots on that spot for exploring and uh I, that's what we do day to day, day to day, day in, day out, uh, morning, evening. Certainly we have our spots for that we like to set up morning and evening, but we do a lot of moving and a lot of ice trolling and just moving up and down the brake lines and shifting, you know, our dead sticks with us. We're, we're doing a lot of jigging. We use a lot of spoons. We use a lot of jigging wraps, slab wraps, ripping wraps. Um, I like to catch those aggressive fish and then just keep moving on. Yeah. Uh, how often, uh, Malak specific, will you find a negative school of fish, head to a different reef, gravel bar, mud flat, brake line, whatever it might be. And at the same time of the day, they're, they're just popping. I mean, that's, that happens out there, which a lot of people don't think they think they're not biting here. They're not going to bite anywhere. But the truth is that's not always the case. I mean, on a given day, is there any way to know, or have you come up with any pattern to understand why are they, why is this school popping off and another one not? I think it has to do with bait fish, you know, and the amount of bait fish in that lake is insane, right? You have a lake mm-hmm. like Malax, uh, and it's interesting to me, even let's say open water ice, you could have one area of the lake, let's say the east side of the lake, the fish are biting like crazy all summer, all fall. You go to the west side, it's hard to get a bite. You see them. Uh, you know, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with forage. Um, also what's interesting out there is like one side of the lake, they're feeding on something, uh, or they're, you know, let's say a spoon is working the best on the East side. For example, you go to the North end of the lake and all they want is a jigging wrap, <laughs> you know, that, that's <laughs> yeah. what's mind blowing to me or colors like, you know, um, I, I see it a lot, whether I'm casting crankbaits or trolling, where at one, one portion of the lake, they really want a certain color, and the other portion of the lake, they want something totally different. Well, ice fishing the same way, you know, they, they might want a gold spoon, uh, you know, out of the mud flats. But then when you get in shallow, all they want is like a silver and blue jigging wrap or a perch color jigging You know, so that changes a lot. And the size of the bait changes depending on what they're feeding on. Uh you, for example, if we get a big young of the year perch hatch on Malaxed, you'll get them feeding on kind of that, well, young of the year perch size bait, whether it's a small slab wrap or a perch colored rattle spoon or a roach spoon. And then all of a sudden, you know, like this year where we don't have a lot of the young of the year perch, but they're feeding on a lot of like three, four inch baits. Well, now they're feeding on number five jigging wraps and number seven jigging wraps, early ice, uh, or they're feeding on the number six slab wrap, like something a little bit bigger that profile or a quarter ounce spoon rather than that 16th or eighth ounce spoon that we're used to. So that changes a lot based on location. I think we could talk for days about the intricacies here and maybe people would find it fascinating. Maybe people wouldn't. I think they would. Um, just because of your knowledge, I'm going to just say, we'll leave it at this right there. And 
we'll let the TV show kind of show people a lot of the adjustments that you're going to be making and why, how often you're going to switch a bait. If you had a fish come in and look and didn't eat, you switch up immediately or you give it time where you're going to move, things like that. I mean, that's the fun of this show. Um, we're going to show what you're learning and, and it's real time. The episodes will air on Valley Sports North and Valley Sports Wisconsin. So we're covering Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. And then um, after they air, they're going to go up on YouTube. People can stream them in their entirety right after it airs. We're hoping that um, the information is helpful. Uh, it's fluid because ice isn't here yet and it's going to be changing throughout the season. But there's just a lot of information that we hope to get out there to help people catch more fish. Tony, congrats on the new TV show. I'm excited to be able to be a small part of your big journey and to um, join you on the ice, quite frankly, because that's something that I don't think we've done yet other than a couple of photo shoots here and there. Yeah, I can't wait to fish with you, Trav. Uh, I think there's a lot of great contributors to the show. I think we have a great network of people with Ron Share Productions, you got Bill Shirk, you got people like yourself that are passionate about fishing, that are excited to showcase dialed in angling. And I can't wait to hit the ice with you, buddy. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season. It'll go by in a flash. And before you know, we'll be looking back like, what just happened? <laughs> you're going to be home for a day and then we're going to the next place. And you're home for three days and you're going to the next place. And all of a sudden you thought you were going west, you're going east. Uh, it's a, it's a wild ride during the ice fishing season, but I'm here for it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, good luck to everybody that is out in, uh, open water still that might be out hunting, looking for that deer still or a grouse or a pheasant. Uh, the holiday season is here, but ice, ice, oh, it's coming. And we're looking forward to getting you dialed in. We'll be back. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when, but soon on another episode of the Due North Outdoors podcast. <music>